0: Welcome to the Disability and podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Mind the Gap's associate producer, Paul Wilshaw, chats with artist and activist James Ledbetter, aka The Vacuum Cleaner, about his work around the topic of mental health, his work abroad, and how the arts help support people's mental health. This podcast contains some strong language.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Disability and Podcast. Today, I am interviewing the great James Letbetter. Today we will be talking around um, the topic around mental health. So if you find that topic is going to be hard for you, please turn off now because we want everyone's mental health to be in a safe space. We care about our audiences. James thanks so much for coming on today so on your website it says that you make candid provocative and playful work can you just tell us a bit about yourself and how you got started
2: firstly just thanks for having me on like shout out to mind the gap like a lot of love for you guys like um yeah provocative playful and candid I think that's my approach to mental health, basically, like provocative, because I think it's it's not contentious to say that mental health care as a system, not the individuals within it, but the system um, has has always failed people. We have to be willing to be really explicit in, in calling that out and challenging that failure. And, and that, you know, sometimes we have to be provocative about that. Um, because that's uh, a fight for justice, like all disability justice movements. Like, we, we can't be shy about that. Uh, playful, because I think being disabled, and I think particularly around mental health, it can be really hard and and it, and, it, and literally can be depressing, right? So I think that the, the playfulness is really important. But I also think that, like, I know a lot of my, like, my crip friends, my disabled friends, like we like being funny about our disability it is funny like our bodies and minds are funny and so that that joy and playfulness is really important and then the candidness is like the the ability to to be close and tender because things can be challenging things can be hard and our our, our body and minds can um can be difficult and you know we're we're proud of who we are of course we are But also like we have to come together and have those candid moments and candid conversations and not be afraid to be honest about what we're going through and what we've been through and and how perhaps systems might treat us or even individuals sometimes, you know, when you experience ableism from an individual. Like, yeah, those three words kind of sum up my personal approach to, to mental health as an artist and as an
1: activist as well yeah Yeah. and i think that's so true about um around that whole thing about that our brains do kind of play games as well and um but it also there is some fun stuff around at the same time and yeah i mean i have depression i um i'm on medication for it um and I have had situations with my doctor that um, we can go into later, but I think it is hard also for doctors and stuff to actually recognise what actually what's actually a learning disability and what's actually mental health as well. And how now um, there seems to be a confusion. Do you feel that, James, as well?
2: It's, that's a really, really good question because I I don't think I would, for myself, use the term learning disabled. However, I would use the term neurodiverse. And I think this is a big Venn diagram, things where there's intersection between all these things anyway. So somebody told me something really, a statistic that's really interesting, that over 50% of people who are in mental health hospitals also have some form of autism diagnosis. And I'm like, yo, that's really shocking. Like clearly there are forms of structural ableism that mean that a lot of autistic people and neurodiverse people are also then struggling with their mental health. So like how systems are designed to exclude learning disabled and neurodiverse people. But I think like when the world is not designed for you, of of course that's gonna impact how you feel about yourself course that's course, you're going to experience anxiety or you're going to feel low self-esteem or low mood or you know that might evolve into complex traumatic things or hearing voices or seeing things like it doesn't surprise me it, it makes me sad that so many neurodiverse and learning disabled people also have that intersection with mental health but then equally, I think there's also some people that don't have that intersection as well. It's like, it's it's always infinitely complex, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. In, in terms of, like, how you talk to doctors, so you, do you, defi- you, def- you define as a learning disabled person?
1: Yeah, I've got learning disabilities and cerebral palsy. That's how I define myself.
2: So when, when you're talking to doctors, medical medical staff, Is it hard for them to understand that you might be learning disabled and also have mental health struggles?
1: Um, I had one situation. Uh, I don't mind getting into this now. At the time, um, I was having uh, suicidal thoughts. I went into my doctor's surgery and I was told, well, you don't have much to live for anyway.
2: You're, no, dude.
1: Yep. Uh, That's what a doctor said to me once
2: so um i'm really sorry like just to acknowledge that that's it's really messed up yeah. I, I know you live with this stuff and you cope but it's also just really like that's really messed up and i'm really sorry that that happened
1: you know but at the time i just had to laugh about it
2: as well because i was like this is even more messed up than my own head but do you know what i mean this is like it's it's like a really messed up channel for comedy like so I used to have this idea about making a really messed up like Channel Four type co- comedy where it's like all the shit that doctors say to people, and and then you take it to Channel Four and they go, oh, this is it's too extreme, it's too fun. It's like this is this is just reality of what we're being told, like yeah, and it's
1: great because I now do role play for um, clinical psychology students as well, so it's kind of like. Um, And that's a really interesting time for me because I'm like, it also, it's like me getting my own therapy when I'm doing doing it. And it's kind of like, that's interesting. And I'm hoping that it's going to help the system change. Well,
2: also, it's a really nice gift for you to give to, uh, like that form of activism where we're we're using our own experiences as tools to educate, you know, people that exist within an ableist structure. That's incredible to do that work
1: you have done a show and you said about the system not being made by us so i'm really interested about Matlove, love a designer asylum i'm really interested about that project and how that came about and like what what major things came out of that project
2: i like to call it a process rather than a project really because i don't think it has like Maybe if I talk about it, that'd be clear why I want to make that distinction. I was in hospital, I was in a mental health hospital and a, and a friend visited me and and she'd never been in a mental health hospital before. And she was like, dude, like this place is rank. And I jokingly said, as you, you know, in the situation where you make a joke, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I literally could design something better than this in like five minutes. And then you know, I, I start doing okay, I'm a, I'm a bit safer, whatever, and I'm at home and I see that person again, maybe a few months later. And she's like, you remember that thing that you said to me about like the state of the hospital and how you could do something better? I'm like, not really, I was, was quite a lot of drugs at the time. But she's like, well, you did say that. And, and then and she's like, it's really stuck with me about like that and like how you said you could make a better hospital. And I was like, that kind of sounds like the kind of joke I would make. And she's like, well, why don't you do that? And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And that kind of throwaway comment, it sat with me about like actually... Nothing about us without us is for us. Like, we are the experts in our own experiences, you know. Why aren't people that struggle with their mental health designing our own care environments? And I think that, you know, that that also fits with some politics that I have around mental health struggles not being a bad thing. They are a natural response to things that happen in our lives. So I'm going to use the term madness because that's a term that I like to use. I, I appreciate that's not for everyone but like that madness is not a bad thing. And it's something that we might all go through in life. Um, so if, if we're going to have those experiences in life, like madness has always been with us and will always be with us. Why, why punish people? Why not allow people to experience that? And and is it possible to experience that in a more kind and, and caring and, and gentle way? And then what kind of environments do we want to be in to experience that? Like that, for me kind of seems obvious right so so then like how do we do that what's that like what and so i can't figure that out i have to talk to lots of other people so that that process began with a little r&d grant from our good friends at unlimited and then that enabled me to go and speak to lots of people and then that kind of initial conversations like people were just really drawn to having those conversations and, and thinking about that. And we came up with a kind of process where we could hold people in that kind of conversation. So asking questions around the senses. So what does good mental health sound like? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does good mental health taste like? What's it like to touch? So we're really getting into a kind of sensory design response because I think for me, like I can be quite sound sensitive Um, so I think like smell can be really evocative around design and and textures and things so kind of creating a a really expansive palette around that and then working with other mad artists like Hannah Hull and just going out and speaking to lots of people and in lots of different contexts over like a five-year period really so I think we've spoken to over 700 people internationally asking them very simple questions and kind of collating all those responses and then thinking about how that can become real so whether that's doing that in an art space by like making proposals like installations or architectural models or telling the stories of what we've heard or equally you know we've we've been really privileged to contribute towards making nhs wards and and things in hospitals so actually impacting on a a real level um, how the nhs is is designing wards so we've supported architects designing a children's mental health ward in edinburgh i was able to contribute to the architectural brief for the children's mental health ward at great ormond street design features for high security mental health hospitals and also just done a lot of like presenting within kind of there's a whole industry around the design of mental health hospitals so trying to influence that by presenting the research there as well and getting people to think about how they approach the design of those environments in more tender and holistic ways so i think one of the important things as an artist is to have really bold, like, you totally utopian, realist, unrealistic ideas, right? Because that's one of the things about art is it, it is that space where you can have big dreams and big fantasies. And, like, it says on the website, you know, this isn't the lunatics taking over the asylum. It's more radical than that. We're, we're proposing that we design, build and run the asylums. It's a silly way to frame it. Like, we're being playful with the language and stuff. But actually, disabled people should be running... Disabled services, government departments like the DWP and all these departments should have disabled people at the centre of them. The healthcare system should have people impacted by their conditions. Like cancer services should be run by people you know who have are and have survived cancer. Like it's blatantly obvious that that's important. Like, and what's really fascinating for me is when I when I talk about that as a model, people go like, yeah, 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 and I'm like. But if we apply that to other marginalized and oppressed communities, you would never disagree with that. You'd never say that black people shouldn't be like leading black artists organizations. But when it comes to mental health and I'm like mad people should be running mad spaces, people are like, oh, no, James, that's like fucking wild. And I'm like, is it though? Like, or are you like, is your own internalized ableism labeling me as I'm a stupid person rather than a mad person, because like you, I'm yeah. smart. Like I yeah. know stuff.
1: Yeah. And the whole point is that why shouldn't, even if it's just a, like, we do so many pilot schemes, so why, why not do that as a pilot scheme and see if it does work? Because there's so, so many times that you see these pilot schemes and you're like, yeah, that's not going to work. And then you find out it does work and you're like,
2: yeah, do you know what I mean. Like, and I think like Mind the Gap is a really good example of that. And I and I think like everybody's disability is different, that right? But our our conditions fluctuate, and some days I'm like super high functioning. I can send like fifty emails in a day. I would never do that. To anybody, <laughs> but You know what I mean? I like, know what I you mean. Get, I can get stuff done, and other days I'm like, well, I can't even read an email today. And I'm like, I'm going for a walk with my dog on the beach, and I'm like, gonna reprioritize myself it's not just about like quote-unquote mad leadership it's also about processes that are different and they they know like that yeah we we can run our own spaces and we do that with our allies with our non-mad allies and all that kind of stuff but that means that we have to really slowly carefully sustainably invest in what those processes might be like, so that we're not harming people on the way, we're not burning people out on the way, we're not like, so, but that's also really exciting because that's a, like a whole new different way of working that's like, it's fascinating. And actually, like when I when I talk about my access requirements, most non-disabled people say like, I want a paid rest day, I get exhausted too. Like, I find Euston Station really triggering.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay. That is so true, though. I mean, I had the same situation when I was doing a show in um, Leeds and, like, we were working with disabled people and uh, we showed them access riders um, and people were just like, we're in the same situation. We need this. It's like, yes, but why isn't it being rolled out as much and stuff? And people just don't know about it. And if you don't know about something then you're not going to be able to get that process in place. So I want to go on to a project that you... Um, it I think it was recently done. That's 2.8 million minds with young people in London. Is that correct?
2: And, and, and as they would say... In that there London.
1: In that there London. Love it. Love People it. People
2: from Bradford would say. <laughs> um, 2.8 Million Minds was a project I did with Chisholm Hill Gallery, with Seth from Chisholm Hill. Seth's an amazing curator and producer bernie grant's art center in tottenham which is like a a world-class black art center and Whitechapel art gallery which is like one of the big london galleries and this it was commissioned by the greater london authority by the, the mayor's office and they they really wanted to know about it was kind of like a research project really to understand like how art can be beneficial for young people's mental health young people's struggles with mental health are are massively increasing like lockdown specifically like accelerated that you know like the impacts of covid and lockdown on young people has been really profound i'm not just to be really clear i'm not saying that lockdown wasn't important like i'm not i'm not a covid denier or anything but there were other impacts of that obviously and and i think young people were not considered in in that process and young people's mental health were not considered in that process but yeah so like Claire Lovett from the GLA um who was lead on that kind of really smartly took a bit of a risk because when they asked me to apply and I put this little consortium together with Becky my producer of arts organizations the ones I've just mentioned and my approach to it was like oh you know GLA it's like it's the government it's these big organizations like are they really going to be that like, radical? And I think Becky was like, well, you tell them what you want to do and let's just see what happens. And I was like, well, we have to, we have to respect young people's knowledge. Like disabled people, young people also have really good experience and knowledge. And like, we have to respect that. And so I was like, what happens if we try to centre young people's knowledge and experience to come up with models or practice or approaches or processes or making art that, can imagine the kind of support that they might want around art and mental health. Um, so um, that that research period is, is is finished now, but we we kind of we commissioned like loads of a lot of people to like work with a lot of young people, and really to ask those young people like what kind of art do you want to make, how do you want to be held in those processes, and that led to us making a manifesto that we presented at the Houses of Parliament and also at liberty festival and then also like last year we did another process just kind of trying to bed in some of that knowledge which led to a sharing that we did a little kind of work in progress sharing at Whitechapel art gallery um <clears throat> so yeah it's been like a really like intense wild journey and at the same time <laughs> same time as doing that in london i've also been running a, a parallel project in manchester as well under a different name but like just trying to understand how we can support young people to make art around their mental health really and what's important to them and what how how do you do that? Because I think there's a lot of knowledge around like art therapy, but in terms of like getting 30 young people from Tower Hamlets that might not have any artistic training to make something for Whitechapel Gallery, which is this big, prestigious gallery, like very kind of like critically important institution is a different thing so how do we support those young people to do that what did they want to do on that process so yeah we're just kind of beginning to think about how we merge all that together into a thing into kind of like a a, a national approach to like young people and and just kind of touch on what young people were saying like firstly young people are really angry like they feel really let down they're really angry with adults like they're really angry with adults they're like you know we're not getting the support we need like you've set you've you've gone out there into the world and said like it's time to talk like that's that's the message and it's like and then they're like yeah to who what a two-year waiting list are you for real guys like and then, and then you don't give us the support we need, you don't do early intervention and, and then things get really bad for us and then you section us. We get taken into mental health hospitals, we're drugged against our will. So they're angry with the education system. You know, They're angry with government for not providing funding. They're angry with my generation for climate change, rightly so. So that anger is really valid. So part of the process that we really discovered is about creating space where they can be angry and they can make art about that and that, and that rage is valid and they you know they they're allowed to feel that and we have to hold that for them but they also want to be in spaces that validate their experiences so they can be with other young people and they can talk about what they've been through and they can write about that you know they can do illustrations whatever like material they want to make where they can say like I've been through some shit and they can be with other young people and say like I see you I hear you I've also been through that and I validate you and you're, you're not a bad person. Like, so like one of the really beautiful things we did, it wasn't on, on 2.8, it was in the Manchester process on the Barmy Army project. One of the things that just came up in the room was like, young people saying to each other like, oh, you're not the problem. And that became a bit of a slogan for that project where we, we did a, a march through Manchester city centre. We had 150 young people shouting, we are not the problem. And it was just really beautiful just to see all these young people that when I met them, getting them out of their bedrooms was hard. Getting them into a room at contact theatre was hard because they were socially anxious. They were like just dealing with so much stuff. And then to see all these young people shouting, we are not the problem, it was like, yo. It was so beautiful. I think one of the difficulties is actually adults, the health service, the education system, young people deserve an apology. Like, and I think like in any kind of restorative process, in any process of healing together, we have messed up these young people's lives. My, you know, I'm 43, my generation and above, we have messed up. And I think like, if I went to hospital for surgery and they messed that up, I would get an apology from the NHS. Like when I went through CAMS as a young person and I went through adult services, I've experienced some real shit. And I'm like, just say sorry. If, if if we have to heal together, which we do, we always have to, like, there's no point healing in isolation. Healing together is really important. Just say sorry. And then I can go like, thanks for the apology. I, I needed to hear that right. And I think... I I can find myself in these meetings with like really senior people in the NHS, and I'm like, "Dude, can, I, can can you guys say sorry to some young people?" And they'll go like, "We hear what you're saying, James." And I'm like, "It's not about hearing what I'm saying; it's about like doing it." You need to you need to walk the walk here, guys. Like, you, and and I find that difficult because I'm also like I need an apology too because I've I've been really hurt in this process as well. So. I feel like in a way we're still, I think a lot of young people and I think the journey that a lot of mental health disabled people and probably learning disabled people, like you hear those horror stories about inpatient care for learning disabled people, we're at the point where like, in terms of that restorative justice approach, like we're at the point where we're calling something out and saying like, we're at the table, we're waiting for the conversation, but and we're waiting for change, and we and we know what change we need, and, and we know how to imagine that, and, we, and we're and kind of figuring out how to deliver that, but you can't even come and sit at the table and say sorry to us? Like, nah, mate, that's not good.
1: No, and it's, it's sad. Like, the whole post office um, scandal that's happened, it's like, are we going to have to do a show or a drama that's going to get our experiences done uh, for these places to actually say sorry it's like what why does it need to take shows a drama art is a powerful thing but it just says a lot about how the we are treated and it's so wrong it's so yeah. so wrong
2: what i've been trying to do i think particularly since lockdown is support young people to have those spaces to tell their stories it's really hard because you know a lot of their stories are, are really sad it's big work right so but I think I feel I feel like I'm my younger self never had that and I feel like paying that back of saying to like I spent a year in hospital and no artist ever came into work with me and I'm like that would have been changed my life. So like I've got to pay that back to other young people to so like, I acknowledge your pain and harm that my generation has caused you. So let let's step up and create these spaces where you can make really good art, like world-class art, as good as anybody else that can be in these, like it can be at Whitechapel Gallery, it can be at Manchester International Festival because you deserve to be on these stages as well because you're amazing. You've got stories that are like fucking incredible and you can write songs and like like that That generation are incredibly talented. In terms of how they make art, I'm like, wow, like it's time for us to step aside. So I, I feel like in a way... My job as an artist is about creating the right conditions for young people to make art in a way.
1: But also that they need to understand what's gone before as well, because if they understand what's gone before, then we can change the system. But if you don't know what's gone before, then we're just in a, a world where we're all, we they're going through exactly what we've gone through in our experiences in life. And they think they're starting something completely new. So it's learning that system it is. of...
2: It's a really, it's a really really good point. And it's something we found out. It, so the project they did in Manchester, the Bar project, so we worked with about 75 young people on that project. It was massive. But half, well, about two-thirds of the way through, we, me and the other facilitators on that process, we were like, it dawned on us that the young people when we used the term disabled, they didn't know what we meant. And actually what we started, like we were having these, like we were meeting up every Saturday at Contact Theatre in Manchester. And we were like, ah, actually one of them said to us like, we don't, we didn't get an education in this. You don't get taught about disability in school, right? You You don't get that education. So we were like, oh, we started doing this thing. So there's one of the facilitators, Tony D. Paul, who's a phenomenal artist. We started doing this thing called tony d time where literally every session tony would do 10 minutes on this is the social model of disability this is the history of mad activism like there's a whole generation of people that have come before you who've like been fighting on this this is like different models of disability this is like this is also a medical model like some of us might not like that but it is something you need to know about like and this is what disability justice is it is like a really cutting edge model and this is what mad pride is and this is like the difference between neurodiversity and mental health and learning disability and how all these things intersect and tony d as a black queer working class person this is how race and disability intersect and you ju- we'd be in this room with all these young people and you just see their jaws on the floor and like this is amazing like oh it's not me that is disabled it's the system that's disabling me and, and you'd be like in a room with 14 year olds, and they'd just be like, This makes so much sense. This is like, it was so beautiful. And it's like, it's so basic.
1: I, I totally get what you're, where you're coming from there. It's like, I'm like, Yeah, I know why it's starting to curriculum, but it's also uh, frustrating at the same time. Um, I want to talk about one of your other projects called for They let be of
2: i've got to get it oh they let in the light yeah it's 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 (laughs) (laughs) it's not the the easiest one to get out (laughs) it's a it's it's a it's a groucho marx quote originally so the quote is and it's actually like a term that's used in like mad pride activism so that the quote is blessed are the cracked for they let in the light which is like so if if something is cracked, light gets into it, yeah. and if a, and it plays on the idea that as a as a you know as a mad person you you know you you're cracking up, you're broken, but actually that's not a bad thing because you let the light in. So, so blessed are the cracked before they let in the light. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's gone on an international tour.
2: So there's just been a big show at the. Migros Museum, the Migros Museum for Contemporary Art in Zurich. They've just had a big international show on the politics of care. So that was disabled artists from all over the world. Um, Really great show, actually. I was a bit bit skeptical about it, but then like actually like you know had some really like like big international artists in it. So I, I felt really privileged to be in there. Um, and before that, it was a piece made for Chisholm Hill Gallery in London. So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, as you have gone to other countries, like, what are their experiences around mental health? And, like, is there anything that Britain could take from other countries around the mental health system?
2: There's all kinds of just weird stuff all over the world i think what we're quite good at in the uk as disabled people we're quite rowdy do you know what i mean like we're quite outspoken and i think that's quite good and i notice perhaps being in german-speaking countries or in like perhaps in like western european countries that the conversations that MAD and other disabled people are having is quite outspoken, and that's a good thing, and we're quite good at that. And, 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 and I think partly that's why there's an interest in disabled work from the UK. Like, But equally, the actual healthcare system here is, is obviously quite poor. So in... Germany or Switzerland, like the mental health hospitals, in terms of the actual physical environment, are a lot better. But equally, they have an insurance based healthcare system. So it's not straightforward what quality of care you get, because that depends on what quality of insurance that you have and what type of employer you have. And there's definitely still like a hush hush attitude around mental health that perhaps some of that stigma here has been broken down. And and I think some of those mainstream charities should be credited for that work that they've done on that. Like, um, but I also think some of the really inspiring work I've seen, like I've worked in Indonesia and some of the mental health care in Indonesia is some of the most violent stuff that you can imagine. And some of the responses to that extreme violence from mental health activists, is some of the most profoundly beautiful mental health care you can imagine. So um, working with Hannah Madness and visiting a project in Indonesia that was run by mad people for mad people that was rescuing people um, who were caged because of their mental health, um, sometimes for very, very long periods and, and going on a journey with those people to rehabilitate them it's just like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen it's like all my like vibes about like mad spaces run by mad people and they're like i go there and like no they're doing it on a grassroots level i've just kind of i'm part of a research project at the moment So I've, i've been connecting with a lot of mental health activists in ghana and some of the work that like real grassroots mental health activists are doing there is profoundly beautiful in terms of connecting spirituality and different forms of religion around mental health. And in England, you might be able to go to somebody like your employer or somebody and say, actually I'm struggling a bit with my mental health. You can, you know, you you can go to your GP and do that here, but in some places, like that's not even an option. So how do you be, how do you disclose your mental health struggles? and have those conversations when when the stigma is still really strong and and there's the possibility of so, real social isolation because of that and and listening to how mental health activists and mental health professionals and artists are challenging that and beginning to work through that I'm like that's really in, that's really inspiring yeah so I feel like i I'm, I'm but just beginning to scratch the surface of 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 what is possible in terms of my understanding and knowledge of, from from a global perspective. In terms of being an artist, it's the same as you, right? You have an access rider, right? Yeah, I have an access rider. And how often do you have to remind people that you have an access
1: rider? <laughs> well, it's not even reminding them. It's like have to even read it sometimes <laughs> yes. that's the other thing but, it's like so uh, but read and, it and once
2: the, and don't put it into your locker You're like, you know like it's that's just the same everywhere like constantly reminding people that you are disabled <laughs> and like so do you get lazy about it i kind
1: of not i don't i sometimes update it but i'm not like don't update it all the time but Mind the Gaps being great with me around my mental health. They are just, they really support uh, me on when I'm going through a really bad stage and so is my creative enabler. Um, so I just want to give them a big call out for that because they do support everyone in the company with their
2: mental health, so. And, and do you find that the kind of, the process of like that assertion of your disability and your access requirements, Because that's tiring. It can get really tiring to do it. And do you find that sometimes you're not on it as much as you should be because it is tiring and then things slip a little bit? Yeah,
1: I have had times with my medication that I just let it go Um, because I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay and then I don't, and then I don't take it, and then it's like, and the company straight away knows when that happens, and we they're really on it with me at the moment, just to make sure, and they always have been. I really can't praise the company enough, and I think there's a lot of companies around that, do that kind of stuff. But there is one thing I want to ask. As an artist, do you think that, that after, when we were at COVID, there was a lot of arts organisations that, had learned so much around taking time off um, and all that. But it feels personally to me that we've gone back into our old routines. Do you think that's
2: happened? I think it's complicated. I, I don't want to say that we didn't learn anything. I really don't want to say that because that feels really hopeless. Because I think hybrid ways of working have benefited disabled people like we're sat on zoom now do you know what i mean like i didn't have to come up to bradford i mean i would have loved to come up to bradford because we could have gone montags and had a really good curry right but and i could have seen evie from commonwealth and like hung out and stuff but like it is also easier to do things on zoom it, i've got friends that are still clinically very vulnerable around covid they've been forgotten about do you know what i mean like, 100, like, I think about just Tom, and I'm like, babes, like, uh, do you know I, what I mean? I like, know, it's Jess. Wild. I, it's hard. It's hard. To... I, I think, like, um, it's not that things haven't got better. It's that as a society and a culture, we have not come to terms with what actually we went through during lockdown, I think, particularly, like I made a couple of projects during COVID. One of them was for the Let in the Light. You know, I went into a children's mental health hospital during COVID. So that hospital was also in lockdown, which is like a wild, wild thing to get your head around about, you know, children being locked in their rooms during COVID in a mental health hospital. And I think, like, we all, we all know that we went through some really distressing stuff. And there was a lot to learn from that. And and I think how COVID impacted disabled people and black people and brown people as well and other marginalised communities obviously had a much greater impact. And I think it's just really frightening to begin to think about that. But I also think we kind of have to because it, it's like the future is disabled, you know? So we have, to, we have to somehow come with that tenderness and that candidness and also be provocative, provocative about it, to go like,
1: "We oh, we oh, oh, need to think about this, guys. Yeah, and I think this is the thing, of that we will all become disabled in our lifetime through one way or another. and But when you're younger or when you're middle eight, for instance, you don't think like that because it's a lot harder to think like that in a way.
2: But also if you view disability as a bad thing, then you'd like, you and I might be like, actually being disabled is kind of wicked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course definitely. it's hard at times. Of course it's hard at times. But like we have our like learning disabled, neurodiverse, mad gifts, and we celebrate that. If we can reposition disability as something to, 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 you know, I don't want to say to be proud of, but also there, there is pride in our survival and there's pride in our communities and there's pride in our survival strategies and there's pride in who we are and there's pride in how we're changing the world 100 all day there's so much that you're doing
1: um that is just great work and
2: oh thanks babes
1: i really do appreciate you being on the podcast i just there was some stuff on your website that really was like <laughs> I read, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean when I read it, I was like, whoa, okay, I'm talking to James and the Met Police have caught him dangerous and stuff. Yeah, they did. The Met
2: um, Police call me dangerous in the evening standard newspaper. Yeah, what was that all about? And it, that was so um because I do I do also have a background as a as an activist and as I, I was quite deeply involved in climate change activism and we were doing some fairly confrontational things. And I um, was part of a group of people that were trying to get uh, the E.ON, the German energy giant to not build a new coal fired power station because they wanted to knock an existing one down and rebuild coal-fired power station that's just like in an age of climate chaos like don't build more coal-fired power stations guys it's a really dumb idea so we announced that we were going to shut it down for the day as like a symbolic gesture of like we don't need this they put all these massive security fences around it so me and some other people we made this video that taught people how to pull the fences down it was like a like badass like I think it had, like, latigra music underneath it, and it was, like, footage from all over the world of people pulling down fences and walls. And it was just kind of, like, this very provocative, like, fuck your borders, like, you know, there's no borders, like, no boundaries, let's just pull the fences down. And it went viral. This was, like, pre... Kind of pre-social media, really, but it, like... It got a lot of watches. <laughs> and, and then somehow the... The Evening Standard newspaper ran an article about this hate video that I'd made. Hate video shows eco-terrorists how to storm power station. And then they had a comment from the Met police saying the artist that's made this video is dangerous. And I was like, Dude, that is going on my website. Yeah, I, love I just... love
1: that.
2: was just like, whoa. <laughs> I love that. That's like uh, the best. Forget like five stars from the Guardian newspaper. Lynn Gardner, five stars. is like, no, 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 no. The met police dangerous. Don't get yeah. any better than that. But... <laughs>
1: like, there's also like stuff like it says the big issue said disgusting. And... <laughs> the big
2: issue did call me disgusting. <laughs> but the... also I have respect for the big issue as well, but it's just a funny quote. I, <laughs> I
1: mean, think they did call it's... my
2: art disgusting. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just find it <laughs> was so interesting, like this whole <laughs> thing around like a pain in the ass, and it's not entertaining.
2: It's like, okay, like a lot of but, uh, episodes... <laughs> but i but i also think there's something important here like and I, I know like i have these like glib quotes like all the negative quotes on my website and, and I, obviously i'm being playful there it's like because people always put like i got five stars yeah and I'm, that's I'm what just, i like, love about it uh, but I, I i also think there's something important about for me and i understand i come at this with a lot of privilege like i'm a i'm a white man but it ain't my job as an artist, as an activist, to be popular. I'm not here to make work that make... This ain't Britain's Got Talent. Like My job is to push things forward and be provocative and, and to push the envelope forward. And, and that means sometimes I'm going to have to say things and do things that people might find uncomfortable. And I'm not doing that to, like, to be an asshole. Like, I'm doing that because I want progress for disabled people i want progress on climate change i want progress for my for my black and brown friends so like it ain't pretty but shit's gotta be said you know you have to say things that might make people uncomfortable but that's better than like an
1: injustice happening well yeah i think that is so important i mean it's better than everyone in the parliament saying yay, yay. Do you know, do you know what I mean?
2: Like, yay, disabled people. And yeah, like, yeah celebrate us, Celebrators, hundreds, celebrators, but also like, don't just be like, Channel Four superhero disabled people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, like, I definitely know. We're allowed, what to, mean. we're allowed to be angry as well. Do you know what yeah. I mean?
1: Yeah, we've got a voice, and it's uh, everyone's right to use it. And on that note. I feel <laughs> that is a brilliant way of ending
2: On that, on that angry note. <laughs> no,
1: I mean, let's get provocative. Let's get a bit angry, but also younger generation. Also, gener- with, some, also yeah. with some
2: tenderness as well. Yeah, I think it's ten- that balance of like righteous anger and righteous tenderness at the yeah. same time.
1: And also the younger generation, you are our future. And we're here to support you as well and um yeah just if you do need to chat chat and yeah the system is not great but we are here and there are
2: and there are good people out there there trying to change that
1: and there are some really good systems um talk to places like mind and charities like that samaritans if you're ever feeling in Trouble or you need some support, please go to them. I don't want uh, anyone to be a statistic. We're all human beings, and we all are there to love and support each other. And on that note, I want to say a great big thank you to James for. Thanks so much your, for having me. Uh, doing this podcast. Uh, the next podcast will be done by. Disability Arts Online and take care everyone stay safe and be, be happy
0: Thank you for listening we do hope you've enjoyed this episode of Disability Am. please visit the Disability Arts Online website at www.disabilityarts.online for further episodes of Disability Am. Next month, we are joined by theatre maker, poet, screenwriter and artistic director of Cry Big Arts, Jamie Hale.